CSN International presents to every man an answer, the live apologetics program that equips you to give a reason for the hope that lies within you. If you have a Bible question or a question on the Christian faith, you can call us at 1-888-827-5276. Again, that's 1-888-ASK-CSN. Let's get things started. Here's today's host, Mike Kessler. Hi, and welcome to Friday's edition of To Every Man and Answer. We look forward to being with you every weekday afternoon at this time, answering questions about the Bible from the Bible, looking at current events through a biblical perspective, and also what we hear in church on Sunday. Is it even in the Bible at all? So if you've got a question you'd like to ask us, that number to call again, 8888-ASK-CSN. So important that we have those questions answered for our own self so we can answer those questions for others. And so if you've got a question again, got some lines open, 8888-ASK-CSN. Joining me today, special guest and featured CSN speaker, comes on one hour before to every man and answer, John Randall from Calvary Chapel, South OC, down by San Clemente. Hi and welcome. Mike, great to be with you on this Friday, my friend. God bless you. Look forward to being with you and answering a few questions and all those grand things going on. Hey, this Sunday, if you're in the Southern Idaho area, we'd like to invite you to church this Sunday. We're going through the book of Acts and bring your Bible. Starts at 10 o'clock. If you're unable to attend in person, well, you can always pick us up on the radio anywhere in the world, uh, of course, on the internet or on our CSN stations at 1030 as we study God's word together. So important to know God's word in these days that we live. Now, John, Southern California, all of our Inland Empire listeners that can listen there on our station, I believe it's 103.1. Um, what are you going to be teaching on Sunday morning? Well, we are in the gospel according to Matthew, and we are currently in the 13th chapter, just kind of getting prepped even today, starting to get ready for that weekend coming up and uh, looking forward to continuing our study through the New Testament with the church and uh, always a great time. And, and of course, midweek, going through the Old Testament, and we are currently in the book of 1 Samuel. Also a great time. Just hit David and Goliath this last Wednesday, and you know that's always a good one. So it's great to go through God's Word. Amen. So looking forward to uh, some great reports there. And again, um, uh, just want to encourage you, be a part of a fellowship. You need that. Mm -hmm. They need you. Uh, Remember, you bring something as well as they have something to contribute to you. So always want to encourage you to not forsake yourself the assembly of the saints. Well, let's go ahead and go to the phones. 8888. Ask CSN's the number to call. Cindy's on the line. Primeville, Oregon. Hi, welcome. Hello there, pastors. Hey, my question is um, uh, the Lord's Prayer. And there it says that we ask God not to lead us into temptation. But I want to know what your take is, because I don't know that God leads us into temptation. Okay, that's a very good question. John, your thoughts? Well, you're absolutely right, Cindy. The Lord doesn't lead us into temptation. The Lord allows us to be tested in our faith in order that we would grow and times be refined, learn to be dependent upon him. But James tells us very clearly that the Lord doesn't lead us into temptation or into evil, but actually individuals are led away when they're enticed by their own desires. But I think the prayer there is, at least at that portion of the prayer, is just for protection. Lord, help me to be 
Help me to be not led into temptation. Lord, protect me from from being tempted. Help me to take the way of escape. You know, with every temptation, the Bible tells us that the Lord will always make the way of escape so that we may be able to bear it. He won't tempt us. You know, he won't allow us to be tempted beyond what we are able. The question is whether or not we're going to take the way of escape. And it's not a sin to be tempted. It is a sin when you begin to give in to temptation. You know, I believe it was, remember hearing it said that you can't stop a bird from flying over your head, but you can stop him from making a nest in your hair. It's not a sin to be tempted, but it is a sin to give in to temptation. And so I think the the prayer there, the emphasis is, God, help me to stay away from those things that would lead me away from you. It's just a, a cry of dependence on him for his protection. And thankfully, he does provide those ways of escape. Amen. I hope that answers it for you. It does. That's perfect. I really appreciate it. Send to God bless you. Stay in line. Send you out the movie, Jesus. I think you'll enjoy that. Great to share with your friends. And with that, we're going to go to Myra, Oklahoma. Hi, welcome. Hello. Thank you, Pastor, for taking my call. Um, I had a question about speaking in tongues and being unequally yoked, if I could, a quick backstory. Um, I grew up a, a believer, and I was baptized as a teen. And when I met my husband, I was living an unholy lifestyle partying, drinking, and smoking. And that's what we always did for fun, he and I. Mm. And a few weeks ago, I rededicated my life to the Lord, and I'm starting to go to church now and being convicted by the Holy Spirit and trying to do the right thing. Um, my husband's gone to church with me a few times on Sunday, and the church is amazing. They are really teaching from the Bible the truth, just like you guys speak about on the show. Um, but th- every time after praise and worship, there's a, a certain individual who starts speaking in tongues, and after they stop speaking in tongues, they kind of explain what they said themselves. Yeah. And I just, you know, my husband looks at that and he challenges everything. Like, how can that be of God if, you know, it happens at the same time every time? That is a, a, a bit straining, I understand. And uh, certainly as we go to First uh, Corinthians chapter 14, it says, let two or three at the most speak in tongues and let one explain what they're doing. Not, ex- not translating to another language, to, but to explain, just as Peter did in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit fell on all those in the upper room. Peter stands up with the interpretation. Again, not translating to a, a, another language, but he said, these men are not drunk with wine wherein you think, but they're filled with the Holy Spirit. So he was explaining that. Now, this of uh, it always happening at the same time, I realize that is a little um, unusual. I would probably have the same checks personally. Um, and again, uh, the, the idea, the Bible says, if anyone prays in an unknown tongue, let them pray that they would interpret uh, for others around. Uh, the idea of somebody else having the the interpretation for the tongues, uh, I, I always had problems with that because as I was raised in a Pentecostal church, I'd hear a very long message in tongues and a very short interpretation or a very short message in tongues and a very long interpretation, some kind of condensed language or something. But what I'm convinced I was hearing was just somebody standing up uh, praying in tongues. And the Bible says those who pray in tongues speak to God and not to man. And then somebody with a word of prophecy, uh, maybe feeling a little more comfortable, stood up with a word of prophecy. Uh, I don't think the two are related personally. 
I think that which it speaks of there, two or at the most three, if the word in the Greek, it clearly says does not mean to translate to another language, but it means to explain fully that word interpretation there. So I think it's the same thing that happened in Acts chapter 2 with Peter as he stood up and said, they're not drunk with wine, but they're filled with the Spirit. Your thoughts, John? Well, my question in light of uh, that, Myra, is is what is is this in the congregational setting? Is this are the pastors aware of it? Do they just allow it to go on and it's the same thing every time? Is it a smaller congregation? What is the what is the dynamic that takes place? Is it is it a believers meeting? I'm I'm curious as to what kind of a setting it is, and how I would respond to that if I was pastoring the church myself. Mm-hmm. It's during Sunday service. Does the pastor say anything at all? Do they just kind of let it roll? Or are they unaware of it? Or you just happen to sit by this person? No, it, I mean, the whole congregation goes silent as this person starts speaking in tongues. And then whoever's doing the praise and worship, they will, you know, kind of explain to whoever's here and doesn't know what's going on. This is, you know, they're, mm. they're explaining what's going on. But this particular person, you know, they actually translate the message in English on what they, you know, mm. what I feel like they were talking about. Yeah, for me, again, I can't speak to every church setting, but I know for myself, um, I, I think uh, I think that the, when Paul writes about this in First Corinthians fourteen, as Mike alluded to, there are um, when it comes to the congregational setting, you know, as a pastor, if that was happening in the church that I was pastoring, I would definitely go to that person privately and and just kind of take them aside and, and maybe have a conversation with them, and I could see why there'd be maybe a, a check. Uh, in your husband's uh, heart or something that just feels uncomfortable. Some churches allow it. I, For us, um, I, I kind of go with what Paul said in 1 Corinthians, that that gift is primarily for personal use. It's primarily to edify oneself, whereas the gift of prophecy, now Paul said, I wish you all prophesied so that you could build one another up, speaking the word of God in, to one another. So I I, uh, I could understand your husband's concerns, and that would be a concern for me if I was walking in and then suddenly there's this one person that's speaking in tongues. Uh, and uh, so I, 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 I share that concern. Yeah. I, and, and so, Myra, I, your husband being checked in his heart about it. Uh, now, is he a believer? No. Yeah, that that's um, unfortunate. And, and again, that, that you, you're in a situation like that. Um, but um, we'll be praying. In fact, before you hang up, Myra, we'll pray for him because um, it, it does create a a bit of an equally yoke together with a, a non-believer. Um, and uh, it's it's funny, the foolish choices we can make when we take a stride from the master's side. So um, uh, did you have any other questions, dear? Um, well, just like I would like prayer for, you know, me navigating this new part of my life where I'm, you know, a believer now and he isn't and it gets, it's complicating navigating the relationship like that. Um, sure it does. And, you know, with, with my friends, and I'm telling everybody that I'm a born-again Christian, and they're pretty much laughing when I tell them that I'm not drinking anymore, doing those things that are unholy. Yeah, doing those things that are destroying your health. <laughs> How silly of you to stop doing things that are ruining your life. Isn't that goofy, the way the world perceives things? You know, I mean, alcohol destroys your liver. Uh, you know, smoking destroys your lungs, no matter what it is you're smoking. Uh, and people will laugh at you thinking you're weird because you don't want to destroy yourself. I've never quite understand that darkness, that that uh, blindness uh, in, in the world that's there 
Because again, the very things that are destroying you, logically, your brain, science, medical associations will say, these things are killing you. And yet if you're not doing those things to kill you, well, you're the, you're the odd duck. All I can say is, wow, how great is that darkness? Myra, can we pray for your husband? Yes, please. Father, we just lift her husband up to you. And we ask you, God, that you would bind Satan from his mind. And Lord, let him not be tripped up by these things like tongues or other things that would cause him to object to really, God, the message of your truth of Jesus dying on the cross for us. And so, Lord, we just pray that you would put a hedge around him, bind Satan from him, that he would understand and respond to the great news of the gospel, and that you would give Myra the right words, the right heart, attitudes, and all those things to help bring her husband closer to you. And so we ask you now in Jesus' name that you would just anoint them, and Lord, that you would restore them in Jesus' name. And Lord, thank you so much for Myra coming back to you, because again, Lord, we know the days are so short. And so may you bless her and keep her in Jesus' name. Amen. Myra, I want to send you a couple of things, a couple of DVDs uh, for you, and perhaps if your husband will sit down and watch them with you. Do you have a DVD player? Um, no. Oh, you don't? Well, um, hmm. we. you know what? If you stay online, I'll have my call screeners give you the address where you can find it online, okay? And then maybe you can watch it with them or something. Thank you very much. Well, Myra, God bless you, dear, and thanks so much for the call. We're praying for you, and so is everybody else that was listening, that um, your husband will come to Christ. And so um, may the Lord keep you. Let's go to Janine, Santa Clara, California. Hi, welcome. Hi. Um, I just discovered last week that after 30 years, my divorce is not legally, there's no legal divorce decree. So I... I believe it's the right thing to do just to make it legal and go through whatever steps I need to take to make it legal. And I just want to make sure. I mean, if I ignore it, I'm ignoring kind of the law. And I just wanted your opinion on that. Is 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 your ex-husband remarried? Oh, he remarried just a couple months after he thought we were divorced. But he represented himself, so he should have known. Oh, man, your thoughts, John? Well, I do think it's important that the law is put there in place for a reason. I think um, the direction that you're seeking to go is the right direction. Um, the fact that that the marriage is no longer in place and he's already, already remarried, I mean, legally, I think that's the right thing to do. And um, I, I would agree with you. I think we we're, we live under the laws of the land. That that's we're to be good citizens. Romans thirteen talks about that, and and this is probably a step that you have to take. And I pray that God strengthens you, although it is painful to to go through that. I think I think you're making the right decision, Jenny, by um, moving in that direction and uh, doing what you need to do legally, so that you are free as well from being tied to anything. You know, and and Jeannie, uh, yeah, uh, uh, God's not going to look at you, you know, bad for getting a divorce because this the divorce happened thirty years ago. Uh, you just got have to formalize the paper on it, and that right. will also free you up to get remarried as well. So, but I would I would not I would not feel guilty over having to do this. This was just something that for some reason slipped through the cracks, 
and to get it fixed. Being he's remarried, there's no chance of reconciliation. So I would just, I would just, uh, you know, uh, just follow the the laws of the land on this one. Okay. Okay. Thank you so much. God bless you, dear. And uh, we'll be praying for you. If you like, uh, we have the movie Jesus for you. If you'd like to hold on, we'll send that out to you on DVD. And with that, we'll go to Felipe in Texas. Hi, and welcome. Hello. God bless you. My question today is for you. Um, I'd like to know, the Apostle John, I understand you wrote the Gospel of John, 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John, and also understand Revelation. But uh, we happen to shed light uh, your take on what order did these, he wrote these letters. Okay, your thoughts. <laughs> Thank you, Mike. Uh, I, you're right. He did write all of them. As far as the order in which they were written, I know for one thing, as it relates to the Gospel of John, John wrote this after the fact. He's writing looking back, uh, and he doesn't record everything that Jesus did, but he writes later on looking back and recalling the uh, events that took place in the ministry of Jesus, and of course, emphasizing the deity of Jesus. It's very unique, uh, the Gospel of John. And oftentimes we tell people, hey, be sure to read the Gospel of John first uh, when you get saved. And I think because of the fact that it just emphasizes that Jesus is God. So I know that that was written later. Uh, Revelation, of course, was written uh, when John was sentenced to the island of Patmos. And as he was there on Patmos, he received that revelation and um, but I'm not sure which which one came first, first, second. I mean, obviously, first John, second John, third John, they were in that order. But as far as did the Gospel of John come first, then Revelation, I would say, yes, the Gospel of John and then Revelation after that. And then the more of the postcard, smaller epistles later on. But, Mike, I'm curious your take on that. Yeah, I, I, I you know what? I I can maybe do a little study on that for you and see if I can't find you a better answer. Uh, it doesn't exactly tell us. um and so uh, we know, of course, the book of John was first, uh, but in which order? I, I always had thought that the book of Revelation was the last book that John wrote. But again, yeah. uh, you you might be correct on that, uh, uh, John, because I... I I, 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 I'll have to, I'll have to do my, my refresh my, my history lesson here. Yeah, myself as well. And I think, um, I'm sure there's an answer for it. Um, but as far as the dating of those books, in what chronological order, I think typically, you know, they're they're considered the 23rd, 24th, 25th books of the New Testament. But as far as when John wrote them, uh, I, I do believe the Gospel of John was the first. Yeah, that, that was. That was the, the first. And then the others followed. And then the others followed. But whether Revelation came before 1st, 2nd, 3rd John or after, well, I'll do a little research here on it, see if I can't find you an answer here before the program's over, Okay. Okay, that sounds good. I appreciate you. That was my question. Thank you for guys what y'all do. Blessings to both of y'all and your family. Well, Felipe, same to you. Stay in line if you like the movie Jesus. And again, uh, you can share it with your friends. Uh, it's um, uh, You can choose the language that you like there on the movie. And so you can switch it into whatever is going to minister to the most people. And so uh, uh, stay in line. We'll get one of those out to you. Let's go to Jenna Lynn in Idaho. Hi, welcome. Uh, thank you. I have a question today, and my niece is going to get married, and she's having a big wedding, but she's marrying another woman, and I've decided not to go to that because that's telling her that I think it's okay, but by a family, uh, there's a member, 
in my family that's pressuring me, feeling like I'm being pressured into giving her a gift, and I don't know if that's the right thing to do either. Give her a Bible. Uh, your thoughts, John? Yeah, that's a that's such a difficult uh, a question, Janelyn. Personally, uh, again, you're asking for the perspective of a pastor here. You know, when you think about marriage, marriage was uh, sacred and holy and set apart by God even before the fall of man. God presided over the first wedding ceremony there in the Garden of Eden and declared that it was good. And since that time, of course, man has sought to, like so many things that God has ordained and commanded, uh, undermine and change, and and marriage being one of them. There's a real battle over, over what constitutes a real marriage. From God's perspective, from the Word of God's perspective, it is one man and one woman. That is God's perspective. We do not uh, – it's – not an honored marriage before God, you can go through the paperwork, you can live in a state and you can exchange rings and you can take vows and then that state recognizes it. But before God, it's not recognized and it's actually sin. It's not the way that God created it in the beginning. And there are those that would say, oh, as a Christian, you're supposed to be loving and so you should attend. However, the most loving thing I can do is is walk in truth and I can't affirm or um, to, to say that because I'm not affirming of someone's lifestyle choice means that I don't love them is not to truly understand love. I, I love them, but I don't agree with it. I cannot attend it. And um, when after they're married, I would love to be able to minister to them and witness to them. But I'm, I can't be there and say yes and amen to this wedding and this marriage that God does not ordain nor pleases him. And so um, I think you're making the right decision as it relates to a gift. I think you need to be convinced in your own mind. You need to pray, ask the Lord what he might have you to do. But for me, I, I couldn't participate in that. This is my perspective. I couldn't go to that ceremony and be a part of it. And, uh, lest it appear that I'm approving and I'm not, and nor is God. Yeah. I think you just have to use wisdom here. But, uh, again, uh, it, 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 it it's, not a joyous day, it's a sad day. And mm-hmm. I think that that's um, the decision, dear, that you have to make. Um, and as far as a gift, I would give her something um, that would maybe benefit her uh, spiritually uh, down the road. And and so you can think about that. Now, I don't know what that might be. Uh, like I say, maybe a, a Bible or maybe um, uh, something else. But um you have to understand or i mean they have to understand that see the reason they have to keep using the word gay pride is because it's shame in the bible and so this is why you find this pride word being repetitive over and over again because the bible says it's uh, uh it's shame read romans chapter 1 and you'll see why uh, the the true church cannot accept this lifestyle as Christian. Now, I know a lot of modern ministers have come along, modernists that have come along and tried to uh, psychedelicize the Bible to make this okay. They are lying, lying to their congregate. They're lying to people. There is no way you can change God's word to accommodate what, by, what the Bible says is wrong lifestyles. And that goes for whether you're a thief or a drunkard or anything else. 
And so we don't bend the Bible to fit our culture. We need to bend culture to fit our Bible because that is what and how countries operate, how societies operate, how families operate. You violate God's word. You can thumb your nose at the Bible, do what you want to do. You're going to go, you're headed for the rocks. The reason why the Bible is written the way that it is, it's not because it was written by a bunch of narrow-minded fundamental extremists. It was written because God knows how we were designed, how this world was designed to work. And when we start coloring outside the lines, thinking, well, it's okay if I fudge a little here or fudge a little there or just completely rewrite the Bible to suit my own belief, you're headed for the rocks and you will hit the rocks. Guaranteed. Every time. Never fails. You see, that's the problem. And so we have to be very, very sensitive with people because we love the person, but we hate the sin. I love I love what God's done in my life, and I hate the sin. So I don't direct that just at somebody else. But I we have to realize that sin never, ever does any of us any good. It always brings us harm. And so you violate God's word, you're going to find yourself uh, hitting the rocks. The Bible's very clear what the lifestyle of a Christian is supposed to be. Love one another. Be tenderhearted, kind, forgiving one another. This is the will of God. But we want to get out of those lifestyles so we don't have to keep repenting from them. And so that's why I believe it's so important. So the gift you give, well, I, I think you might want to just really prayerfully consider it. A Bible's in order. Um, and, uh, you know, whatever else you might think, dear. May the Lord give you the guidance that you need on that, Okay. Thank you very much. You have a good day, you guys. Jenilyn, our prayers are with you. Father, I just pray for Jenilyn that you would give her the right words to say. Many people are going to ask her why she's not going to the wedding or why she didn't go. And I pray you just fill her heart with love, but also boldness to state why these things should not be. And so may you give her that understanding that comes from your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Gentlemen, I want to encourage you to go read Romans chapter 1. That will help you right now in this turmoil in your soul. Read Romans chapter 1, because that will help you know, as Jesus said, when we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Romans 1 is God's kingdom, his will to be done. And again, I can't really say I'm a Christian if I want to violate what God's kingdom is. And so, Old Testament or new, you're going to find God's stance on this topic unwavering. So, Lynn, Jenna Lynn, our prayers are with you, and uh, stay in line, we'll send you out the movie Jesus. Maybe give that to her as well. We're coming up on a break, everyone. Don't go away. We're going to have a whole lot more coming up right after this. We'll be right back. More than ever, pastors need to feel people's love and support. Over the last few years, many pastors have seriously considered leaving their church. But 1 Thessalonians 5.12 instructs all churches and all Christians to show and share their deep appreciation for those who minister to them. There is no better time to do this than Pastor Appreciation Month in October. And there's no better way to do it than using the easy as one, two, three Bless Your Pastor materials that are available for free at blessyourpastor.org. That's blessyourpastor.org. 
Plus, the great news is that if your church uses the 123 Bless Your Pastor materials, the pastors at your church will be offered a $300 scholarship application to attend a Family Life Weekend to Remember Marriage retreat. What a blessing this will be to your pastors and their spouses. For free materials, go to blessyourpastor.org. That's blessyourpastor.org. Let's see, if something costs less, but people are happier with it, that sounds like something to look into, and that's MediShare. Maybe you've heard switching to MediShare to pay for health care can save the typical family 500 bucks a month, and that's huge. But it's also true that people are way more satisfied after making the switch, too. The customer satisfaction rate for MediShare is double that of the typical health insurance plan. Double. MediShare works. It's been around for more than a quarter century, and members have shared more than $3 billion of each other's bills. People love having telehealth and a huge nationwide PPO network. So, yeah, you can save a ton and like it better. Imagine being happy with how you're taking care of your health care. So if you're self-employed or part of the gig economy or you just want a plan you're happy with, you can call right now and get a price within two minutes. A very, very smart use of two minutes. Here's the number you need. 855-91-BIBLE. That's 855-91-BIBLE. 855-91-BIBLE. Welcome you back to part two of Jeffrey Man Answer here on this Friday afternoon with John Rando from uh, Calvary Chapel, South OC, down by uh, San Clemente, and uh, I'm in Twin Falls, Idaho, and uh, once again, love to see you here on Sunday morning as we go through God's Word together. So important, once again, to know really what God's Word says, that's how we live our life, and so we just want to encourage you. 8888, ask CSN's the number to call. And um, we're going to go to George, Napa, Idaho. Hi, welcome. Hi, how you doing? Good. How may we help? Well, I understand that uh, in the Gospels, Jesus says we'll neither be given in marriage or be married in heaven. But, I, you know, I have some, want some clarity on that in that I also heard some preaching about that after the, or during the millennium, after the seven years of tribulation that we'll come back with Jesus and we'll actually have children for that thousand years. And will we with our wives for that? Well, no, we won't uh, because we're the bride of Christ. We're, we're, we're not going to be married uh, as saints ruling and reigning with Christ during the thousand year reign. There will be people here on this earth, though, that made it through the tribulation period that did not take the mark those will continue to have children and all that for a thousand years in this new, completely revamped world um, that uh, Jesus restores. But the the Bible very clearly tells us there is no marriage in heaven. Uh, and, and what it's talking about, once we're in our new bodies, once uh, we've... Um, partaken of that heavenly scene, I don't believe, again, there's going to be any need for that. Uh, I think we'll be completely 100% fulfilled in Christ. But there will be people on this earth that we will rule and reign over uh, for about a thousand years that, uh, in fact, will. And so your thoughts, John? 
I would agree with you. That seems to be what the Bible indicates, that we will, you know, those that are raptured with the Lord, go home to be with the Lord when we're there in heaven, that we won't be given in marriage. Jesus made that clear, Matthew 22, and so that's a fact. We understand that. And uh, however, during the millennial reign, during the, or actually during the tribulation period, there will be those that survive. And just reiterating what Pastor Mike said, that there will be those. There will be a repopulation over those thousand years. Of course, during that thousand years, Satan will be chained, bound, the Bible says, and at the end of the millennium, he will be released for one final opportunity, and he will deceive some. And then Jesus, of course, will destroy him once and for all, and uh, and we go from there. So we won't be given in marriage. We won't be having children after that fact. But I'm excited, Mike, that my children know the Lord, and we're going to be in heaven together. So I'm really looking that, forward to that. That's a great thing. You know, it's the, the, one of the greatest uh, peace of minds that you can have is to know— yeah. Uh, about your children going to be with the Lord. That's a good thing. George, I hope that helps. Well, Dad, I, I guess I'd like to ask one more thing. Will we even know our wives in heaven at all? The, I mean, the Bible we, says we'll be known as we're known. Now, that's pretty neat. Now, you know, really, uh, George, I'd like to add to your question, and I know I'm supposed to answer the question, but these are some questions that I've got. <laughs> I, I suppose... I'll ask John. But, you know, it's interesting. It says, we'll be known as we're known. It's weird that it's worded that way. Mm -hmm. Here's my point. My grandfather married my grandmother when they were in their teens, late, late teens. Uh, And I, I, we came along quite late in life. And so... um, I always know my grandmother as having gray hair uh, and a, a little not 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 fat, but but you know as grandmas get sometimes, um, and you know her facial expressions and the wrinkles and all. But to my grandfather, when he sees her in heaven, he may see her as she looked when he married her. And I've always thought about that because I, I, I was thinking about sometimes about little ones who, who may die in a Christian home and they're, they're in heaven grown up when the parent shows up. The Bible says we'll be known as we're known. And we all know through a course of 70, 80 years, our looks do change. And so if I was to meet my grandmother to see her at 19 or 20, the way my grandfather first met her, I wouldn't even know who she was. Now, this is interesting to me because we'll be known as we're known. So maybe it's the way we remember them that'll help us. Maybe there'll be a a composite of a newer body mixed with an older body. I don't know. Maybe we'll have name tags on. I doubt it. But whatever it is, the Bible says we're going to be known as we're known. And that means that when we get to heaven, it isn't like we walk through uh, the gates of heaven and all of a sudden it's like a giant bulk eraser erased our brain. And where am I? And who is this? No, very clearly the Bible says we're going we're gonna to take what we learned here on this earth with us to heaven. And um, again, uh I, that's why I always tell people it's neat to study up on Revelation so you won't be like a country bumpkin when you get to heaven looking around going, well, what's that giant rainbow there? What's this? What's that? You're going to know because the book of Revelation chapters 4 and 5 tell us. 
what those things are. So I, I, I just know that we're going to be known as we're known. Uh, how God's going to do that supernaturally, I don't know. I do know our brains are going to be supercharged. I think that's going to be a great thing. But um, your thoughts on that, John? Well, First John chapter 3, verse 2, John declares, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We're going to be in a perfect body. We're going to be like Jesus. So we're not going to know less than we know now when we're in heaven. We'll know more. We'll know what he knows. And uh, we will recognize one another. I think when Jesus was seen after his resurrection, they recognized him. Uh, even on the Mount of Transfiguration, you remember they said, hey, Moses and Elijah are here. I mean, we're going to know more than we know now. So yes, to your question, uh, George, a great question. We will know each other and like we've, like we've always known each other, but even to a greater degree because we're going to be in a perfect body. We're going to be like Jesus and that's going to make all the difference in the world. So, so to, to completely answer your question, no, I don't believe uh, that people that are married, even as Christians here, will uh, be married to each other in heaven. Uh, Jesus very clearly said there was no marriage in heaven. In fact, uh, uh, he gave a parable. He said uh, there was a man who uh, married a woman. Uh, actually, the the, uh, the Sadducees asked this question. They didn't believe in, in their life after death, but for them to ask this question was a, just to show a trap. There was a, a man, and he married a woman, they said to Jesus, and he died. Then, according to Hebrew law, his brother married the woman, and he died. And then, according to Hebrew law, his brother married him. He, there were seven brothers, and all seven brothers were married to this one woman. Now, she must have been a really bad cook. I don't know what the deal was here. But they asked Jesus, in heaven, whose wife will she be? All recognizing that they were legally bound on this earth in marriage, uh, Jesus recognized that they were uh, uh, married here on this earth. They asked the question, in heaven, whose wife will she be? And Jesus said this, and I wish some large group um, out there would read the Bible. Jesus said, you err not knowing the scripture. There is neither marriage nor given in marriage, but we will be as the angels are. He said there's neither marriage nor given in marriage. And yet, they have temple ceremonies. That you'll be sealed for time and eternity to your wife. Completely, completely in violation to the Bible. And by the way, not found in the Book of Mormon either. Just a little caveat there. Uh, but the Bible says you err not knowing the Scriptures. What a, what a terrible condemnation that Jesus issued towards the Sadducees, and I believe personally towards any other group out there that in some way is promoting celestial marriage. Jesus said, you err not knowing the scripture. There is no marriage, nor given in marriage, but as the angels are. So, hope that helps, George. It absolutely does, and it, you, with that last answer, actually helps me with another issue I'm having. So, I absolutely thank you for it. God bless you. George, if you like, stay online, send you out a DVD, uh, Movie Jesus. I think it's something great to share with your friends. And uh, thanks so much for the call. Let's go to Jim, Oregon. Hi, welcome. 
Hi, uh, thank you for taking my call, and I really appreciate you guys' program. God is good. How um, can we help? Yeah, oh, God is wonderful. Um, I'm looking to hopefully get remarried, to get married, I mean, again. I, I was married about 25 years ago, and I'm obviously I want a Christian woman. I don't have everybody in mind at the moment, but I'm just trying to find out, uh, based on the Bible, uh, what what does it say about that? Well, divorce is not the unpardonable sin. The Bible says God hates divorce, but then the Bible uh, in the Old Testament says that um, seven things the Lord hates, uh, seven is an abomination to him. And interestingly enough, divorce is not even listed there. It talks about those that um, uh, cause dissension among the body and those, you know, all these different things that, that destroy fellowship. Um, divorce is not the unpardonable sin, but we realize why God hates it because what it does to the children. It, it does horrible things to kids. And I think we in America right now and globally are paying this horrible price for broken homes and the lack of, of proper identity for children in the home, a father's role, a mother's role, all this. These kids are growing up now without any any male uh, influence in their life. Uh, we don't know what a boy and a girl is anymore. Uh, we don't know what bathrooms to go into anymore. I mean, talk about a complete lost generation. And then, because it's a lost generation, then we have politicians that uh, formalize this total apostasy, this lostness that the world's experienced, saying this is normal and this is okay. Sad, sad. Um, so uh, I, I believe that if you have a desire to be married, I think that's a, a good thing. I, I think that it's where you shop. I think if you go to bars and and things like that, you're, you're um, literally throwing your fate to the wind. Um, uh, you know, you want to find somebody that is serving God right now, not serving God to impress you, to marry you, uh, but that has already been in Christian service where you can see their their commitment to Christ over a period of time. Uh, I believe that's so important. I've, I've seen so many stories where uh, a girl or a guy will start dating somebody uh, or even in the church and, and oh, you know, they'll, they'll go there and, oh, they'll, you know, sing and they'll read their Bible until they get married and then they don't have anything to do with God. Well, they were just putting on a show to marry the individual. Uh, this is a tragedy, and we see it so often. But if you marry somebody that's already in the ministry, already serving God, and there's a lot of places to go. There's, uh, uh, and John, I'm, I'm sure you've got some great references here on this. But it's it's where I, I don't think it's good for a man to dwell alone. Now, if you have the gift of celibacy, that's where you're you just you're happy being single. Hey, praise God, that's great. But some of us don't do well single, uh, and so um, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And because you made a mistake years ago, doesn't mean you're eternally condemned to be to be single. Uh, and uh, again, when Jesus gave those commands concerning marriage in the gospel, that was concerning a Levitical marriage, not what we have as marriages today. Uh, today, Bill can marry Steve, and uh, 
And, you know, as long as Steve doesn't mess around with Phil, then, uh, you know, there's no grounds for a divorce. No, they're not recognized by God, married, period. That's what the Bible says. So that's, that's, we have to establish that. Well, today we have a lot of marriages that have gone on that the Bible completely says are wrong. You have, you have Christians marrying non-Christians. That's not a biblical marriage. So when Jesus is talking about those uh, rules of marriage, he's talking about a Levitical marriage where the father was there and gave his blessing over the, over the wedding that both families knew each other and knew their kids and their kids grew up together, all those things. That is, is, is what that talks about. But today, marriage can be, you can marry a horse if you want to. So this is, this is where we're, we're trying to mix uh, that which was absolutely governed by God's laws into our society today using the word marriage, where the sky's the limit. You could marry a frog if you want. So these are the problems that we, that we find. John, your thoughts? The Lord's intention from the very beginning was one man with one woman for life. That is God's ideal. That's what he designed. That's uh, what the Bible says. A man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. Jesus was asked the question in Matthew chapter 19, shall a man divorce his wife for any reason? And of course, the Pharisees were primarily basing their argument upon a passage of scripture out of Deuteronomy that spoke of uncleanness. And they ended up defining uncleanness, at least the liberal side of the rabbinical teaching, defined uncleanness as anything you found in your wife that was unclean. If you found another woman that was better looking than your wife, you could say you're unclean. I'm sending you out of my house and you could move on. Then there was the the other view that was uh, a little bit – it was more strict. If there was unfaithfulness that you were able to give her a bill of divorcement. Jesus commented on this in that context, Matthew 19. And he, he said there's the reason for divorcement, that God allowed it was because of the hardness of man's heart. But he said if there's unfaithfulness in the marriage, there was divorce that was allowed. And Paul seems to indicate in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 that abandonment was also another instance where a marriage could uh, be broken apart. Now today, if you, you there could be 100 callers that could call in and say, well, this is my situation, this is my situation. All of the, of the degrees of the variables that come when you're dealing with or counseling somebody through potential divorce, um, it can be difficult. But Ideally, you want to stay together, but adultery and also desertion are the two times that God gives an out for a marriage. And um, and I think it's it's God's intention if you're struggling in your marriage to to get counsel, to sit down, to work through some things. And in order, even in those cases, Mike, for there to be reconciliation, there has to be genuine repentance. And if there's no genuine repentance, it's really you can't put something back together if someone's not willing to do it God's way. And so. Um, I would say to you, as you're asking, can I, you know, is it, is it lawful to remarry? I say, yes, that it is, but it's got to be in the Lord. And I would encourage you to concentrate. I'm sure this is your heart. I'm, I'm trusting this, uh, Jim, that you want to concentrate on being the right person instead of finding that right person. And as you are, focus on your relationship with Jesus. Be who you would like to find. Do you want somebody pure? Then live a pure life before God. Do you want a girl that's godly and fears God? Then you be that man. And, and God, knowing your desire, he'll bring you together in time. And uh, and so that would be my encouragement to you. And if anybody listening here today is is going through a rough patch in their marriage, hey, get some counsel. Um, be humble. Repent of sin. Work it out. Try to you know reconcile. 
and um, and do the best that you can on on that situation. So, Jim, that, that's my heart for you, man. Hope that helps. Yeah, thank you. Um, you know, that's always that is my intention. My intention is I want a godly marriage. I mean, I, there's nothing else. I've been in un- ungodly relationships, and without Jesus, it just didn't work. No, right. uh, it, it doesn't work because you're serving yourself. See, that's the problem, and this is why marrying a non-believer is so so critical not to do. Because when when you accept Christ as your Savior, as Paul says, no longer I live, but Christ who lives within me. But my purpose for living is to further the kingdom of heaven. Now, I, I, I when I don't I don't always do that. That's what I repent of when I when I uh, get sidetracked. Uh, but that's that's my heart's desire. The problem is if you marry somebody that's not a Christian. Their goal is serving themselves. So you've got a real problem. You've got one person in the marriage completely wanting to serve God. You've got the other person in the marriage serving themselves. And so you end up in, with that person as a very selfish love. I, I think Toyota said it years ago. They had a slogan advertising their cars. And it was, it was this slogan, I love what you do for me. Well, if it's concerning a car, probably not so bad. But when it's concerning an individual, I love what you do for me. That's the problem of marrying a non-Christian. That's what they're looking at. You're an accessory to their narcissism, <laughs> to, to them being first. And that's why the marriages run in. The Bible says, can two walk together unless they're both in agreement? Well, if we both agree that Jesus is Lord and this is the reason we're living, hey, you're, you're going to have a common ground. But if one says, oh, I want to serve God, and the other one says, I'm serving myself. I'm doing what I want to do. I'm going to do it. I, I mentioned this yesterday, Frank Sinatra. I'm going to do it my way. Well, you're going to go two different directions. And so, Jim, there's a lot of good churches that have singles programs and um, things like that. Not necessarily for dating, but support and, and friendship. And I think those are all really good things. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Uh, and And so... No, I would just say, let God direct you and guide you where he wants you to be. Stay on line, Jimmy. If you like sending out some, uh, some uh, the movie Jesus, I think you might really enjoy that. We're going to go to Sandy, San Juan Capistrano. Hi, welcome. Hi. Um, actually, I'm from um, Idaho. I moved to Idaho a year ago. Oh, well, welcome. You escaped from the fallen planet. <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. It's nice to see flags and a lot of people going to church. It's wonderful. Yeah, it is. And, and, and that, and I, that you I'm, actually have some rights in this state rather than the new communistic California way. Oh, I can't believe that place. You know, I, I, we, you know, just real quick, we never shut down during the COVID thing like, like everybody else did. We were all just fine. You know, it just makes... Oh, and by the way, I don't know if you all know this, they're bringing the mask mandates back. Oh, yeah, the tyranny goes on. (laughs) Check your newspaper tonight. It'll warm your heart. But anyway, Sandy, how can we help? Yes, actually, my home church used to be Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. So I feel very blessed having gotten a pretty good foundation there. Anyway, my question is, I was reading Revelation. It's read it many times, you know how you do, and you pick up new things, and I thought, ooh, what's this? Well, it is an after the millennium, the new heaven and the new earth, and the new Jerusalem come down, 
And it talks about, and the nations of those who are saved shall walk in the light, and the kings of the earth shall bring their glory and honor into it. Uh, And they shall bring the glory and the honor of their nations into it. I I think it means the New Jerusalem. But there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes abomination or a lie, but only those that are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. So there isn't, isn't all evil and all sin now everybody is all Satan and, and all his minions are in the in in, in the fire. Yes. And- yes, and I, I believe that it's simply stating that unlike this world where um uh, all kinds of evil things could come and go there will be nothing like that in the new jerusalem uh and and i i really as you look at this um there there never will be uh and and so i think that's really really important because it says you know outside there's dogs and all these kinds of th- other things uh you know evil things uh but uh you know you you don't know Really, on this lake of fire, I, I've often wondered if the lake of fire, those there can look into and see this glorious new Jerusalem, this new eternal home of ours. Uh, it is interesting to me. The Bible says that hell is described as a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Weeping because you missed the 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 promises, the glory of God, heaven, the new Jerusalem, Um Gnashing your teeth is what you do when you hate somebody. And today, even in newsreels of the Middle East, you'll see them looking into a camera, grinding their teeth in the camera. That's called gnashing your teeth. It's an equivalent of, in our society, of pointing a particular finger of yours out the window at somebody that just cut you off. That's, that's, that's an equivalent of gnashing your teeth. It isn't gnashing your teeth going, oh, I'm in so much pain. Gnashing your teeth was an actual physical, facial expression of hatred. Still hating God. I'm always amazed by that. Your thoughts? Well, I love this description in John 21 of what this place is going to be like because it's going to be a place, someone described it, of no mores, meaning no more tears, no more sorrow. No more death, no more crying, no more pain. The former things have passed away. What a glorious passage. The tabernacle of God is with man and we'll dwell with him. We're going to be his people. I mean, folks, this is this is something that's going to happen. This is a reality. This is something to look forward to. This should fill every believer's heart with hope. This is where we are headed. We don't live for that which is temporary. This, These are the things that are eternal. I can't wait to get there. It's going to be amazing. And uh, I can't wait to be in that place, Mike, with the Lord, just worshiping around his throne, serving him forever. This is our hope, folks, in a world that's falling apart. I don't care if you live in Idaho or you live in California. God is still on the throne. He's working. I can't wait to be there. Amen. And uh, don't miss don't miss heaven for the world. Going back to our question from the first part, uh, it does appear that looks like the book of Revelation was written last. Um, but... Um, I guess there there might be a few scholars out there that have another opinion on that. But absolutely, the book of John was the first. Hey, we want to have everybody have a safe three-day weekend. Thanks, John, for being on the program. God bless y'all. To more about this ministry or to receive a copy of today's program, please call 1-800-357-4226 or write us to Every Man and Answer, P.O. Box 391, Twin Falls, Idaho, 83303. 
That toll-free number is 1-800-357-4226. Subscribe to the free podcast on iTunes by searching for To Every Man and Answer in the iTunes store or visit us online at csnradio.com slash T-E-M-A. To Every Man and Answer is a production of CSN International, the Christian Satellite Network. The opinions expressed by our guests may or may not be those of CSN International or of this station.